0: It comes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with strangers from the crowd of cremens. It's a dream that you enter McNeil. A passing note of the song. A glimmer of the ship being seen. Think you saw it, saw it, you feel it. Think you see it, you
1: see it. Well, we're here. I know that. <laughs> totally. Welcome oh, to the shores. Cheers, cheers. Thing seems all over the place. It does. Yeah. We're, uh, it's been a crazy, uh, couple of months actually. Yeah, it has, you know, it's,
0: well, can you even say that it died down or has it just been a crazy few years?
1: Yeah. Yes. And no, yes. And no, it just keeps shifting. I think mm-hmm. I feel like it was like, uh, you know, after the summer of 2020 and there was like the kind of the, the flare up. Uh, with uh, kind of BLM, BLM, and some some riots slash protests, and then kind of that kind of downed down a little bit, and then I think after that we just kind of hit this malaise of COVID for a year, year and a half, and December, January were sort of like a reminder of that, and then I heard COVID's coming back. That's why here too. I don't <laughs> know. That's it's hard to it's hard to to know what anything is anymore. Right. It's like, <clears throat> does it feel to you like over the last couple of years, like everything
0: became the most important issue and everyone had to have something to say about it. Mm-hmm. Like it felt like we were kind of exempt from some of that before. Yeah.
1: Well, it's like you had to carry the, the popular narrative of whatever was, mm-hmm. was their deal, whoever they are. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know it's like you know what if your thing's not ukraine it's like yeah well something's going over there it's like well there's also stuff going on in places in africa and the middle east and i mean it's like you know it's like well i mean it is kind of a big deal with russia and Mm -hmm. you know it's like there's a little bit of a flex going on there and european but you know it's like is that just as big a deal as like pfizer and the report that came out that i don't know what the hell it said but no one's interested in it yeah uh, that is true. No one's interested in it. It's like we just all stuck this stuff into our bodies. We should be kind of interested in like what that thing says. <laughs> maybe it says nothing. You know. Maybe that's maybe that's eighty why. No. thousand pages of nothing. Eighty thousand pages. Yeah. <sighs> nothing to be concerned about it. They assured us. Yes. Well, I mean, again, it's like, you know, yeah, we've t- we've talked about this before. Just like it'd be good for us as a nation just to evaluate what happened in the last two years, what we did right, what we did wrong, what we didn't know. And then what we corrected, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. uh, maybe it's too soon for that too. I don't know. It kind of always feels too soon. Sure.
0: Like as you're going through life, you know, mm-hmm. you don't think you really understand <clears throat> what's going on in history until it's history. Mm-hmm. Cause in the moment it's what's happening. Isn't nearly as important as, the story that is being told about it. And I, and and I mean that functionally. Yeah. Like I, I don't think there's any alternative because things are about what they mean, not about what they are. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And also how you're relating to them too. So it's like, you know, if you're, if you're, I I guess it's, it's also, ah, shoot. I had two thoughts that went sideways. Um, Your thoughts went sideways. <laughs> yeah, different directions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, well, I mean, it's it's. I see. I see how different people are reacting in different ways as far as like what their sort of baseline narrative or axioms are. You know, mm-hmm. like I want somebody to keep me safe. Who is going to keep me safe? Hmm. And I'm going to find that person who's going to keep me safe. And, you know, on the another extreme is like, I'm the only one that's going to keep me safe. And so I need to take steps in order to create that safety around me, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and then there's all sorts of variables in between and maybe some other areas that I don't see. But, um, you know, but there's an infinite amount of ways to to look at the world around you and right. we all look at it a little <clears> bit different, but then there seems like there's always this narrative that sort of takes the, the spirit or the zeitgeist of the moment, you know? Yeah. And, you know, some people get on board with it. Some people don't, and sometimes it's useful and sometimes it's not. And, you know, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, it was useful that we were all sort of like cautious and aware, you know? Um, but at some point that became, l- maybe less useful. And when was that?
0: I don't know. (laughs) That's a really good point. I mean, maybe that's the point I was trying to make is that the story is more important than what's actually true because you don't, you can't know what's actually true, Mm -hmm. at least not for novel emergent things at the very least. But I would, you know, you could make the case that the entire future is novel and emergent,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know, so COVID comes along. The truth of COVID matters much less than the fact the truth of the story, the story includes what you don't know. It's like, we don't know what this is going to be. So we should err on the side of, of caution. And that's a behaving as if position. I'm going to behave as if something is true. So you're living Mm -hmm. out a story. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the right way to be, Hmm. or that that's an example of a situation in which it was the right way to be rather.
1: Well, again, it's uh, even the idea behind a hypothesis. It's like, well, how did you come to that hypothesis? It's like you're acting in the world in some way and something piqued your interest and therefore you make a hypothesis. You create a story which you then go and test. And so it's like there's that part that's really helpful and useful. It's like we do create these stories and narratives and then as we act them out, we, st- we start to tr- test the validity of those, you know, and... and those who are committed to the narrative and not the truth, it's almost more cultish than it is uh, uh, servants of the truth. So it's like, I'm I'm more of a, I'm more of a slave to the narrative that I am to what the narrative could get me closer to, Hmm. you know? So, you know, as you play something out, it's like, okay, I'm acting in the world and this is how I'm encountering it. So I'm going to act this way. And then as you start acting it out, you start to change that narrative, that story because new information comes to light or is presented to you that you then kind of shift. And, you know, it's like the cultish mentality is more of like, you just continue to find ways to reinforce the narrative that you are walking out rather than almost trying to disprove the very narrative that you are following, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, because the thing is I think when we're when we're acting out these stories or telling ourselves these narratives it's like we want to actually prove them wrong because I think if we can prove them wrong then we we get closer to what is right instead of well, you tra- should want that you should want that yeah I
0: and mean, it seems to me on most of like the popular issues of the last two years, those who hold who hold the narrative of the popular issues do not at all want to be proved wrong. Even though being proved wrong would mean that the world is better than Mm. they think it is. Yeah. Better than the narrative says it is, Mm -hmm. but they don't want to be proved wrong. Yeah. Like, you know, when after George Floyd was killed, there was the narrative that black people were being hunted down in the streets and you could, I mean, and I did, a lot of research about that and found a lot of data and studies and, um, numbers from all kinds of different organizations. And the data just didn't bear that out at all. Mm -hmm. And I had some long conversations with a few people about that and they just absolutely would not tolerate the possibility that that narrative was not true. Yeah. And I I thought that was so curious. I mean, why would you, wouldn't it be better if that weren't true? Mm -hmm. Why do people hold, hold on so hard to that? Is it because there's such a high cost set up for not um, complying with the narrative, not buying into the narrative, makes you a bigot, makes you a racist, a part of the problem. Mm -hmm. So I'll go along with the fact that there's a problem, even if there's not a problem, just to avoid being castigated by the non problem
1: I would rather live in that. Well, I think there's also a part of like, we want to belong, you know? And I think that's part of it too, is like, that's what also unites us is a common narrative. And, you know, and sometimes the, the, uh, I mean, you see us in high school, middle schoolers, you know, it's like, it really doesn't matter what the thing is. As long as we're doing this together, it's really awesome. Hmm. You know, uh, and you, a lot of times you see it in really silly, stupid stuff, you know, and they'll just like, I know like my kids will just like one will start laughing and then they'll kind of start, they'll keep laughing, but they're really fake laughing. And then all of a sudden each one of them are kind of like, ha, 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 ha. And all of a sudden they're laughing hysterically for real. <laughs> right. You know, and it's just kind of this weird thing is like you kind of get this feeling of like, I'm going to participate in this, even though it's kind of false or fake. Yeah. But then you find yourself. I mean, I think it becomes real. It becomes real, yeah. yeah. And in some instances, that's a good thing. In some instances, that's not a good thing. You know, Mm, right? And 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 sometimes that's then all that's all you see. You know, Uh, and probably not the laughing part, but like, (laughs) but the but whatever problem it is that you are are focused on, it's 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 hard to get perspective or step out of that space because it's become that that much in your in your uh, focus. Yeah. You'd have to become a heretic
0: to step out outside of it, mm-hmm. which is to say, be outside of society, mm-hmm. which is a place that you don't want to be Yeah, for good reason. Mm-hmm. Even if the society is insane, I suppose. Yeah. There's plenty of incentives not to, to leave it.
1: Well, I think too, is like we, we also see, like real heroes in time in um, in history that have stepped out in ways that is very counter narrative, you know, uh, when the the society has sort of almost become cultish in the way that they um, view the world, whether it is through like you know a racism lens or a ethnic lens or um, you know. Tall people versus short people. <laughs> <laughs> Has that ever been a thing? I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like you kind of have this lens of what you see the world. And, you know, when someone steps out at first, everyone sort of like ostracizes that person. But then at some point it starts to, it starts to shift and, and people uh, kind of wake up to like, well, this is something's not right here. What's, what is it? I don't know sp- particularly, and they start to distance themselves from whatever that was, that was that maybe more, um, I was just thinking about the green grocer right now, uh, Václav Havel, Mm -hmm. you know, you act these things out in society because you want to be a part of. Right. In order to be a
0: part of society, which maybe that's all of being society is acting out what society wants to act out. Mm-hmm. If you're not doing that, then you're not a part of the society.
1: Yeah, Which seems natural. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like there's a certain, there's certain rituals and functions that we act out that does bring sort of the uni- unity. I think we actually talked about this on the last podcast, like the, the flag and some of those things that are sort of unifying symbols um, that are good and healthy. But if you start tearing all those down then what what brings you together it's more about what is what what makes you different maybe that's the ebb and flow of history or the ebb and flow of you know it's like sometimes we focus on what brings us together and sometimes we focus on what's what makes us different Hmm. it seems like there's a there's a place for each of those things but sometimes they get out of out of control (laughs) you want to take over the, well, take over the it miracle. seems like so many of the, <clears throat> of the,
0: um, polarities that we encounter in life, whether it's order and chaos or left mm-hmm. and right, or, um, well, I guess those are the two that I'm thinking of. Yeah. vax unvaxxed, um, Ukraine, <clears throat> non-Russian. <or laughs> you need the two in tension. Mm-hmm. Um, so, You need society to be uniform, but a completely uniform society is, is bad. It's dangerous for like, well, and completely, um, discomforting. Mm -hmm. It's like, did you ever read, read the book, um, A Wrinkle in Time? Oh yeah. Uh He goes to that neighborhood and all the houses are the same. And then all on cue, all the little kids come out and start bouncing a ball, all in rhythm at the same time. And then Mm -hmm. all the mothers come out and call them in for dinner in unison. Mm -hmm. You know, too much uniformity is utterly disturbing. Yeah. And so you
1: need someone to step out of line to say there's more here. Or wasn't there one kid that he misbounced his ball or something like that. And then the main characters went to that house and the the mother was like mortified or something like that. Like,
0: I don't know if that was in the book or not. (laughs) Did I make that up? You might've made that up. (laughs) I read it not too long ago to my kids. Oh yeah. Meaning within the last
1: six years. Yeah. Anyways, but there's that sense of, uh, wanting to belong. and Mm -hmm. (coughs) Yeah. I don't, I just don't know where we're at right now as a, as a, as a nation or as a country. Yeah. As a world, it's, you know there's there's definitely some disturbing aspects and even some things that kind of borderline on possible conspiracy theorist type stuff you know it's like what's disturbing you lately well one thing that's really complex was the whole thing with uh the luna crypto thing with mm-hmm. uh, like it was kind of a uh it's too early to tell so anything i say right now is not there's it was a possible like concerted attack against this sort of stable coin that was uh kind of doing a pretty amazing job at what it was designed to do <clears throat> but uh, it did make me think is like like you know there's also this, you know how much power does the imf have you know international monetary fund is that right mm-hmm. uh the, or the world uh, economic forum i
0: just always think of um uh
1: <laughs> tom cruise
0: uh uh-huh. Uh, what's the uh, Mission Impossible? Mm-hmm. Impossible mission, Mission Force. Every time I hear IMF, mm-hmm. it, what is it? International Monetary Fund. Yeah, yeah.
1: So what about them? Well, just things like you know, even I think it was Brazil or Argentina that they were, they gave them a eighty five billion or a million dollar loan, but in order to receive it, they had to uh, not allow crypto. Uh, a loan from the U.S. No, from the IMF. Oh, IMF. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's just it's just like how much influence and power do we allow these organizations to have over sort of the self-determination of each country and state? You know, it's like obviously when you're in, when you're in need or you need help, it's like, you're willing to sort of concede certain maybe freedoms or um, beliefs in order to receive that yeah. help. Right. Um, and we like to think, I mean, I'd like to think that everybody has, you know, good intentions but it's just not the case. Hmm. I mean sometimes it's inadvertent, you know, as far as like that might cause harm, you know. Uh maybe it's selfish. But I mean we all have sort of something that we're a goal or a um a mission that we are living out or working towards, like any corporation or nation. Um, so I, I just kind of, it's just kind of curious to, to like, what are, what are, what are our, what are our goals and missions? Like, what are we, right. what are we working towards? You know, you hear this whole great reset. Well, what does that mean? Like reset to what? And like, who's in charge or, you know, that <laughs> famous thing of the, uh, world, Mon- uh, world economic forum. Yeah. What's his name? Grouse, Schwab, Klaus, Klaus Schwab, (laughs) Klaus (laughs) Schwab. You know, it's like you own nothing and be happy. Yeah, it's like well, somebody's owning it. Uh huh. Somebody's leasing it to you or giving it to you. So you're giving your power to somebody or to something. Mm -hmm. Which I think is
0: why Robert Breedlove is always talking about property rights.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And those who seek to be in power want to take away your property rights and would like you to own nothing and you know you could actually come at that conclusion from a different perspective hmm. this conclusion of you will own nothing and be happy i mean we have been moving away from ownership for quite some time a lot of things that we used to own we no longer own Yeah, you know for instance music and movies hmm. it doesn't make sense to own those anymore yeah so that's kind of a, a you know, we're, we're all happy to stop owning that stuff. I think cars will be another thing that we will be happy to stop owning. Mm-hmm. You have this massive chunk of value that spends most of its time just sitting dormant in your driveway. It doesn't make a lot of economic sense. Yeah. So you could, but you can play that all the way out to where you really do own nothing and you could be happy. So, you know, so long as the people in control of everything that is owned, because all that stuff is owned, just not by you so long as they're not using it against you. Mm -hmm. And it really is important to have property and to have property rights. If you don't, then you aren't a sovereign individual.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you're at the behest of whoever does have that. Right. Again, the whole idea of like, was it Biden proposed like by 2030 or something like that, that there'd be a kill switch in everyone's cars or something like that. I think
0: that was in that huge omnibus,
1: omnibus bill. I, I think, I
0: don't know if it passed. Okay. Some of it did
1: or something. I don't know. Well, just even the thought of it is, you know, I mean, I, I there, uh, I, oh shit. So now I'm getting into like something I don't know hundred percent, but you know, maybe if you're leasing a car and like, you're not paying your payments, you know, it's like you can turn it off on them, you know? Oh, that actually happened to somebody. I <laughs> oh, mean, that's
0: already that's possible bad. in most cars. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's just who has access to it.
1: Yeah. Well, there was an incident where that actually happened or it was said that it happened anyways. Mm. <laughs> they couldn't get to work or something. Mm. Golly. Sometimes I forget the the connections. Yeah.
0: I mean, I, we're moving into dangerous times in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think that's the part of like, I think where government is most useful is that it protects all, the rights of the people in, in their sovereignty you mm-hmm. know it's it, are, is it, is, it almost seems like sometimes we're acting as if the government is there to um, parent us as if we're kindergartners or high schoolers rather than parent us as if we are you know families with or, you know people with families and kids and stuff like that you know it we're You know, your grandparents come in and they are more supportive of you. You know, they help with the kids. They they're always looking for where they can be a help, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but they're not trying to dictate your every move and uh, protect you from the world. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like so I think that's maybe maybe I see government more as grandparents than I do as uh, young parents. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I don't know that I agree. Yeah. I mean, maybe if
0: you're to say of the two, which is, which one is government, that <laughs> okay. makes sense to me. But Fair I was listening to someone go, uh, some podcast about the, you know, the the Roe versus Wade majority opinion that leaked. Mm-hmm. And they were making the point that I, I, I don't hear often enough, I think, which is that, you know, the the amendments to the Constitution are focused on what government can't do. And that's what all of the founding documents of our country are concerned with what can government not do? Yeah. You know, they may not infringe on your right to free speech. They may not take your property without due process. You know, it's, it's, they're all limiting of the government. They're not, um, enabling of individuals. Like Mm -hmm. the assumption is that individuals are ultimately free and ultimately sovereign. And, there should be some government and here's what the government may not do. Mm. And I think that's really interesting. So what is the government there for? It's like, it's there to, in very specific circumstances, protect you, protect your individual sovereignty from those who might seek to manipulate it or confiscate it. And in that way, government isn't something that comes around and helps. Mm. Government is is a fence around your property. Interesting, and
1: mm-hmm. maybe a gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know what to do with that. Because uh, I do think there's a there's elements of you know maybe where that is. It's like where government does help. Maybe it's more on a local level because it's it can be more surgical in its implementation. You know, mm-hmm. um, on a national level, it's like you almost can't you can't be as helpful on a national level. Well, it would just, it would just make sense that, you know, you'd be more, well, I, I really don't know. I mean, I do like the idea of, you know, some of like, you know, social programs and stuff like that. But also, also kind of have seen over the years is like, there's a lot of intentions that, governments have especially the larger they are to sort of have this sort of outcome by helping people in these social programs but it seems like sometimes it ends up actually hurting people like yeah. taking away agency right uh, and i think that's something we've seen with welfare it's like there's there's people who really need that it's very helpful and it's amazing but at the same time that whenever you do that and it's just just human nature is like you become, you become dependent on it. Uh, I mean, I, I find that way with my, uh, my uh, mother-in-law. <laughs> 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 She's so helpful and she helps out in so many ways. So it's like, you know, instead of maybe taking some ownership in an area, I'm like, oh yeah, then I'll take care of that. It's like, right. well, that's not good or healthy, you know? It's like there's, there's a certain amount of element that you need to like allow people to maybe even suffer a little bit because you don't we we don't change unless there's some element of suffering and responsibility. Mm. I mean, I don't. It's like I I think whenever I go into a season where it's hard or challenging, my first response is like,
0: oh, I don't do this."
1: <laughs> like a middle school boy. Yeah, totally. And then once I get into it, I'm like, "Oh, wow, like I'm capable. I can do this. It fucking sucks, but I'm capable, you know?" So there's that element that you have to allow to exist in society that to allow some suffering, and maybe you know, and where that line is, I don't know, but hmm. I think there's some elements of government that
0: can't help that. but and I came across this quote from Aristotle recently that said, "Learning is not child's play. We cannot learn without pain.": hmm. Yeah, Which ties into that idea. Of pain being information mm. that I know we've talked about before, but I just think it's super fascinating that pain is information if you're not experiencing some amount of at least discomfort, then there isn't any information coming into you. Information if it's new is uncomfortable and once it's no longer new and maximally absorbed you know into your Subconscious and um habitual motor responses and whatever mm-hmm. <clears throat> you don't feel it, yeah, it's like riding a bike. How do you ride a bike? It's like <laughs> you don't know, yeah, <laughs> you know so well that you don't have to know anymore
1: mm-hmm. there's nothing new there, yeah, I always remember you talking about the guitar and skills and stuff like that, and having to always kind of learn anew and challenge yourself because you get to kind of hit that next level or you can just kind of plateau into a space Mm -hmm. that's good enough. But it seems like anytime something's good enough, you always, it always ends up deteriorating. You know, it's like if you're not being challenged and if you're not experiencing some sort of pain, which, uh, which I'm equating to a challenge, you know, it's like you kind of end up deteriorating You know, it's like you might be a really good guitar, but guitar, (laughs) guitarist. (laughs) But like, if you just kind of like coast, you you just end up heading towards mediocrity. You know. Hmm. Yeah, true. I mean,
0: even if you are really good at guitar, for example, if you're not challenging yourself exposing yourself to new situations Mm -hmm. you become stagnant and becoming stagnant is sort of the same as deteriorating because the world is moving on without you Mm. and so relative to time you are deteriorating i always think of that about that when i think of santana Mm. like santana has a very specific way of playing Mm -hmm. he plays the way he plays and he's been playing that way forever and it's always been the same and at a certain point i'm like you know, one Santana song is every Santana song. Like uh-huh. I don't need to hear another Santana song. It's like Jason Statham. <laughs> it's like Jason Statham. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you know, you can like that. Yeah. And I like Jason Statham and That's I like silly. Santana, mm-hmm. but there is something stagnant about it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so are they becoming or are they degenerating? And I think, well, if you're not becoming, you're degenerating. Yeah. And to become something, you have to be in tension with what you're not you have to be challenged by what you're not judged by what you're not Mm -hmm. called forth into the future by what you're not. Yeah. Or said a different way, what you could be.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was kind of fight against that a little bit. Like the whole, you kind of have to experience pain. It's like, I've tried to like work around it. I just can't work around that the pain aspect of growth. Um, You know, whether it be a growth spurt, which, you know, it's like hurts, hurts (laughs) in your joints and stuff like that. Or, you know, guitar or, you know, uh, you know, as a business person, you know, everything that I've ever gone through that I've learned something from, it's like, it's always been at a cost of something. Right. And I've had to, even like even religious terms, like, you know, you have to die in order to be reborn into something else. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's that constant sort of like death and rebirth that we experience that, you know, that cycle does not stop. If you, if you try to stop that cycle, then you just kind of end up just dying and not rebirthing <laughs> or degenerating, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, um, <clears throat> you know, obviously there's times to celebrate and there's maybe seasons of that, but you know, and
0: <clears throat> yeah, there are, there's times and seasons of comfort, Yeah. but ultimate comfort is ultimate stagnation. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So it seems like, talking about pain and comfort Mm -hmm. it does sort of seem like on every front we're we're being forced into some sort of fight or flight kind of response it's a very it's very uncomfortable out there Mm -hmm. whether you're talking about inflation or risk of a third world war or a resurgence of covid or you know crypto and stock markets crashing climate climate, uh, (laughs) food shortages. There's not enough baby formula. I mean, like name an issue or like, Oh, we're good. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Uh I mean, in reality, I think I can name a lot of issues on which I think we're actually pretty good, but Mm -hmm. everything seems like a potential threat right now. Mm -hmm. So what do you do with that? Yeah. You know the fight or flight response is important physiologically, but it's it's not a sustainable state. Mm. It'll kill you eventually. Yeah. And you've got society demanding that you should give all of your attention to whatever the thing is at the moment, which mm. is switching constantly.
1: Well, let's let's can maybe go this direction because we were talking about this earlier like you know like uh, what are the responses that people have to tragedy or or experiencing some sort of setback Um, you know there's a sort of part where there's actually opportunity in that space where there is some sort of tragedy that happens, you know, you know, a death in the family. It's like, there's something to be mourned, but there's also something to, uh, experience that is unifying Mm -hmm. and celebrating a death, you know? Um, you know, you know, you almost lose your business and, you know, but at the same time, it kind of like, there's a challenge that is set before you to succeed and to grow, you know? Mm -hmm. And, I don't know. I think there's, there's something, there's, there's something to be seen whenever the beauty of possibility in the face of adversity and what is possible. Uh, it's like, I feel like those are the leaders that I really admire. You know, there's a lot of times I see people just, just basically saying how bad the world is and they're proposing no solutions. Mm -hmm. And if anybody does propose a solution, they'll tell you 10 ways that it will not succeed. But they don't say what they don't propose anything. And I think that's the part is like, we take these risks to propose these solutions that may mm-hmm. or may not work, but it's about us moving into the future with some sort of, we want this, we want good things to happen and we believe that this will help. Well, we'll bring that about. And and I feel like those those types of people always get ridiculed because it's like, oh, you're silly. That can never happen. We can never fly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know uh, no one's gonna buy those cars. Like, they're inefficient and cost too much and they break down all the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I mean, Elon Musk is, you know, great example of that. It's like, you know, rockets, you know, it's like, why are you gonna waste your time on that? <laughs> uh, I think there's a lot of those things that you know. we need those people to kind of cast new vision and take those risks. And it takes the rest of us a little bit longer to kind of come alongside and say, oh, wow, that right. was a really great I idea. I see it now. I see it now. Yeah. You know? Almost kind of sounds like the the hen baking the bread. You know, it's like, hey, does anybody want to help me pick the grain? I'm busy. You know. <laughs> Oh yeah, what is that story? <laughs> I don't remember what the story is called. I think
0: in the end they all want the bread, and uh-huh. she's like, "Well, you were too busy to help make it."
1: Yeah, yeah. But that's I think there's a, something in that too. Is like whenever someone or groups of people are out there working and trying to better society, and as they get closer to accomplishing that, is kind of when everybody else wants to come on board. And a part of that is good and healthy, and that creates that momentum. But there's also a part that. I believe that that's kind of when you get the vampires and the parasites too. Like now that this is healthy, I'm going to sink my teeth into it hmm. and drain it of its blood. It's <laughs> <laughs> a really interesting analogy. <laughs> yeah. That's my kid's story.
0: <laughs> now that this is healthy, I'm going to sink my teeth into it.
1: Well, even like, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't follow Ayn Rand's philosophy too far, but There's an aspect in both her books, Atlas Shrugged and um, uh, The Fountainhead, that there's these, the idea is that there's these really productive people, and there's a segment of society that basically wants to feed off of that productivity. Mm -hmm. And once, once those people gain control of that, the very thing dies because they weren't interested in innovation and growth. Right. They just wanted to feed off of what that thing provided. Right. And that's just not sustainable, you know. Uh, I mean, you can argue with other aspects of her philosophy, but I feel like that was a really interesting point to me, and I think that's one thing that, when I read both those books, really grabbed hold of me. Is like, wow, I, I love that guy who did the steel and came up with this whole new type of steel that was like ten times stronger, and like, you know, and the state wanted to come and take that from him right. and make it a national. Which who's the next person to come along to make the next invention? You know, innovation. It's less incentive whenever someone's just going to take it away from you, mm-hmm. or then tell you how to use it. It's like, now we can negotiate that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a uh, thing. Is like, how do you how do you encourage innovation? Because there's an element too that. Like we do need the like the institutions and even some forms of bureaucracy, even though it's slow and inefficient. But they should be kind of like at the bottom of the totem pole, you know? Like we should support and like really encourage innovation that then at some point can become sort of status quo. And that's okay because you know what? There's more innovation coming. Hmm. And it's like it's like somehow that, that innovation needs to be embedded in society and in nations or let's just say society. And the only way that it really gets embedded in society, I think is, is mom, well, I want to say through bureaucracy, but, um, which thing kind of almost leads it to its grave. You know, I think of like, like restaurant chains, you know, at some point they were like, whoa, McDonald's is amazing. And then as it becomes like, it just kind of keeps going down and down the food chain as far as like, like when I was a kid, I was like going to McDonald's was like a treat, you know, you go out there like once a week or something like that, or once every month. Right. But now it's not special at all. Yeah.
0: Same thing happened with Krispy Kreme and then with Mm -hmm. In-N-Out.
1: Yeah. But there's something stale about when you travel to another city you don't know what's there. You're like, okay, there's a McDonald's or there's a Starbucks. Yeah. I know what I'm getting. <clears throat> well,
0: so starting with your, with the, the chicken and the bread analogy, <laughs> you know, someone's trying to make something. Yeah. And they ask for help or they rely on what exists already.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the people that they ask for help say, no, what exists already is somehow which is another way to say what exists already is insufficient. And so you go and do it yourself. Mm -hmm. And so what you end up doing yourself or, you know, what your company ends up doing itself or whatever is ends up innovative because you have to solve problems in a way that doesn't rely on what's existing. It doesn't rely on the help that uh, would otherwise have been at hand. Mm -hmm. And so you end up with, you know, a loaf of bread that is different it's better. It's more delicious. Mm-hmm. You end up with innovation with a new kind of steel, or a, a new, you know, a, a the first ever reusable rocket, mm-hmm. or something. And everybody's like, to your point earlier, you know, everybody's like, "Whoa, I didn't know that's what was on the line." Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's the um, it's the limitation of no one else being interested that creates that innovation and then everybody sees the benefit of the innovation and wants in and wants a piece Mm. and then it's like well it's unfair that you get that yeah it's unfair that you're reaping the rewards of that Mm -hmm. this would be much better used in the hands of government and bureaucracy so that it could be distributed and everyone's lives could benefit and there is Mm -hmm. something benevolent you know it's like to your point earlier I you know it's not that people don't have good intentions Mm -hmm. But that's the opposite of what allowed the thing to exist in the first place.
1: Yeah. What do you think about any sort of like uh, just in the crypto world or uh, is like everyone gets so frustrated at the guy who bought Bitcoin at $10, you know, and you're like, like, no way. You bought that at $10? It's like, Mm -hmm. that's not fair. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, at $10, it could have just disappeared. At $10, it was way riskier than it is now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So they're willing to sort of like Take steps out and sort of support this network at an early stage where the risk was super high. Yeah, and then you know later on, and where you're buying you know fifty thousand dollar Bitcoin, you're like, man, that's not fair. You shouldn't have that. Right. (laughs) It's like, well, I mean, there's a lot of things. Like most people, most business people and entrepreneurs and investors, they invest in a lot of things that fail, and you know come to ruin a lot you know mm-hmm. i think most millionaires have have gone bankrupt a few times you know yeah <laughs> uh, or even like the you know you and i've been following some crypto guys who kind of lost it all and, and it's like well this is my second time and then i'm just gonna rebuild and mm-hmm. and do it again right you know? yeah
0: I'm, I'm just I'm stuck on something. This idea that mm-hmm. you know, if the government, so so to Anne Rand's example, mm-hmm. if the government takes over the steel that this guy made, then what incentive does anyone else coming after them have to invent something new? Mm-hmm. I've never thought that that was exactly the right way to think about it, because mm. it isn't that you're destroying incentives exactly. It's that you're destroying the autonomy to experiment. You know, so if it's unfair that the guy who bought Bitcoin at ten dollars, $10, if it was unfair that people bought Bitcoin at ten dollars, so you might say, well, what is being said? Tax the rich, mm-hmm. redistribute their funds, because mm-hmm. it's unfair that they're rich. Well, if you do that, in order to the root of the problem being, well, the guy that bought at ten, um. You know, he shouldn't have done that Mm -hmm. is kind of, I think is what is being said. But if you're going to submit to a, what is essentially a communist model, then there is no autonomy to, to experiment. So I can't go say, well, this crazy thing that at the time was deemed by the public as something that was only used on Silk Road for, you know, black market, dark internet, Purposes, Mm -hmm. and largely it was. Yeah, you know, I don't think anybody thought of it as an investment. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, if the society says this is no good, and society's dictating what people can do, then there's no autonomy to experiment. Mm. So you know, there isn't anyone to buy the ten dollar Bitcoin. So Bitcoin does, doesn't exist. It isn't that people don't have the incentive to innovate. It's that they, it's that, it's that society mandates what should be innovated. Mm -hmm. And back to the beginning of our conversation, you need society, but you also need people to step out of society Mm.
1: in order to do new things yeah you need the black sheeps to mm-hmm. to step out to create or you know even even like a jester or whatever to point out what is wrong you know we need those sort of clowns to make fun of us you know our comedians like if you don't have those people that are outside the system and we don't celebrate them even though they might get it wrong or they might even profit extremely well from it you know i think there's something in their stories i mean because i feel like every time people talk about the rich they always want to kind of paint the picture of somebody who inherited it and is just you know playboy matching it and like you know but I, th- I feel like there's just so many more people that are in that category that are truly innovative and trying to do new things you know um, or at least that's the people in that category that i see kind of fit that that mantra more it's like but you're gonna have both but is it worth getting rid of you know the societal sort of uh you know rich person who is selfish and spends money on yachts and all these things it's easy to kind of come after you know i feel like if we let let them have that we also miss those gems that are mm-hmm. that stand out like i mean again i always mention elon musk cause i think peter till's another one you know mm. yeah, uh, till's always interesting he's kind of just under the radar but yeah he's always doing amazing stuff though um who was it somebody said he's the world's greatest applied philosopher oh interesting yeah <clears throat> i don't think i heard that <clears throat> Yeah. I've always looked for more things like podcasts that he's been on and I can't find a lot of things. Yeah. There was one, a, a, a Peter Till channel, but there was only like
0: eight episodes of different <clears throat> things on it. I think his personality is much less prone to be in the spotlight, hmm. but I always like hearing what he has to say.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. me too. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just troubling because I mean I think we're, there's we're we're kind of seeing there's different elements to this what we're talking about because there's an element that's and I don't know if the bureaucracy maybe correct me if I'm if I'm using the wrong word here but there's a certain element that we do need a bureaucracy of some sort like to facilitate that status quo you know because the status quo is not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing it can be a bad thing but sort of, there's like a status quo that we need to have it's like the floor from which we then kind of jump off from um and it's and it's somewhat mundane and inefficient that's kind of like that's that's it is what it is you know Mm -hmm. um and it should be something that is limited to a great great degree like it should not be in charge it should be like you know the first floor of the building (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know or uh you know or just the floor of a house or something like that, where you can, it can, it can be dirty. It can be a little bit inefficient or whatever, but
0: but you can can argue about whether it's wood or concrete or linoleum, mm -hmm. but really all of that's less important than the fact that you have a floor.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think that's, that's, it should be there to support, but it should always be, um, there to sort of like give people a, place to to launch from it should be always having that in mind it's like it's like no you don't want to stay here some people need to be here for a period of time but this is not where you want to stay Mm -hmm. so there should be no incentive in bureaucracy to stay there you know Mm -hmm. um like and that's the whole reason behind bureaucracy is like everything is scheduled out what you do when you do it what time and all that all the things you know and which is a real base layer. I mean, you and I have both experienced that in our lives, you know, it's like, I need to go to a base layer. That's so simple that I don't have to think about it, but we also know that we can't stay there. Like I need to then get out and be challenged, you know, Mm -hmm. but sometimes you need a time or period of, you know, a bad breakup or divorce or a, a death in the family or your kid dies or something like that. It's like, You need to have something to sort of fall back on that is, you know, like our parents are kind of that way. It's like, oh, I'll fall back into this safe place. But at some point, your parents are like, uh, get out (laughs) of here. (laughs) Right. Like, yeah, I feel like sometimes our bureaucracy right now are more of like, just stay. Stay here Mm -hmm. where it's safe, where it's comfortable. Right. You don't need to go out there into that scary place out there you might get covid (laughs) you might get hurt (laughs) well it's like um
0: it's a new archetype at the societal level this is the eatable mother Mm. archetype Mm. which we haven't really seen i don't to my knowledge at a societal level this we're going to take care of you stay you don't really need to do anything except for you know complain loudly about the things that you want to complain about Mm -hmm. as long as they're the right ones. Um, shouldn't grow up. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't have responsibility. You shouldn't suffer, but kind of like your vampire Mm -hmm. analogy, you're going to die that way. Mm. You're gonna die at the hand of the one who loves you. Hmm. This is the um, the um, Munchausen by proxy syndrome, is a is a manifestation of the eatable mother archetype, which is say that again the uh, Munchausen by proxy. Okay, so it's a condition in which a parent, generally a mother, um, there's a few famous stories about it, where a mother will basically invent that her child is sick.
1: Oh, yeah. so
0: as to not have to give them up mm. so that they can take care of them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's so important. There's so much meaning for them in taking care of their children that as their children grow up to become more independent, they will make them sick so mm. that they can take care of them. Yeah. And sometimes that's by direct poisoning. Other times that's simply by inventing illnesses. Yeah, psychological. And, yeah. And when you invent illnesses, symptoms do manifest. And so it's sometimes really hard to know. There's a really famous story about a young girl whose mother convinced her and like a slew of doctors that she was paralyzed, mm-hmm. that she had cancer. um, Like stuff that you would think would be impossible to fake. Yeah. And everyone believed it. And one day the girl had enough and murdered her mom.
1: Wow. <laughs> and just stood up and was like I'm not sick you wonder if like in her in herself is like like this is not real you know but just was she just so convinced of it or right. you know it just I don't know, but well I right. think
0: as I think when you're beholden to a power who loves you even pathologically mm. there is something in you that feels like is, is obligated to go along with it Otherwise you're, you're neglecting, you're saying no to love. Hmm. I mean, what's astounding to me is that, that all of the doctors that saw her, well, they diagnosed her. And it's like, you think about, especially in the day of COVID, you think about doctors as, and as part of the category of science, which is somehow, you know, we have ways of knowing these things. Mm -hmm. It's like, do you have COVID or not? Well, science will tell you doctors will tell you, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: well, doctors told this girl she had cancer and she was paralyzed. She wasn't. Yeah. (laughs) You know how they get that wrong.
1: Yeah. Well, again, even like with doctors is like, there's a certain, there's a certain narrative that they also have, you know, what, you know, what are you, what are you approaching? Uh, what are you approach, approaching reality? What is the the narrative that you're telling yourself? I mean, we're not, we're all human. And no matter how scientific you think you are, I think Peterson talks about this, like, like there's an infinite amount of facts, you know? Well, how do you arrange those facts? Mm-hmm. Which ones do you prioritize? And Which ones do you include and which mm-hmm. ones do you exclude? Yeah. This is a
0: type one, type two error. There you go, yeah. Yeah. I always love it when you bring that up, because that would be like, type 1, type 2. I don't <laughs> what know is what that? that is, but I know that. Yeah, it's, as, it's, as, uh, it's used in statistics. So mm-hmm. I think a type 1 error is you included something in a data set that you shouldn't have included. Mm-hmm. And a type 2 error is you've left something out of a data set that you shouldn't have left out. Mm-hmm. So these are errors which will skew your
1: outcome. Yeah it seems like as a scientist, you should just know that like, okay, here's an inherent fallibility of being a scientist is that sometimes I will include things that I shouldn't have. And sometimes I will disclude things that I should have, you know, and like, but it's harder. It's easier to forgive
0: the exclusion of things that shouldn't be excluded. I think Hmm. because you don't know what should be included that you don't end up including Hmm. because there's an infinite number of things on the outside of your set. Whereas the stuff that's in your set, yeah, it should be easier to determine what should be included and what shouldn't, because you at least can define what's in the set. Mm-hmm. So it should be staring at you. Yeah. That it shouldn't be there.
1: Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm not clear, like, why? why... By the including one would be more detrimental. he said uh, harder to forgive. Oh, harder yeah. to forgive. It's an error that's harder to forgive.
0: I think because di- by definition the error is visible, hmm. whereas excluding things that you shouldn't have excluded. The error oh. is invi- isn't invisible gotcha. because it's not in, in the set of data. Yeah. It's like, I, I didn't know to include it. So right. It's like <laughs> and sometimes you exclude things on purpose. So you did know to include it, but you didn't, mm-hmm. but there's also plenty of things that you're excluding because you don't know they exist.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's almost like a willful exclusion versus a, a necessary Inherent exclusion. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I mean, that's the thing like, uh, we have to kind of remember is like, like, we are trying to do our best Hmm. and, and there's this element of, you know, what, what do you serve? I think that's something that if you're serving your ego or a ideology or cultish kind of thing, you know, you're going to get certain results. And if you're serving more abstract ideas like God or truth, it's like, you don't know what that is. You don't know what God is. You don't know what truth is. So you could be wrong at any time or any moment. Mm-hmm. And you know that you have an incomplete uh an, an incomplete model of what that is of uh, you know whether you want to call it reality whatever it is. It's like so I think there's a humility that comes if you serve something that's more abstract like reality or truth or God because you know, and you're, you're almost confessing in that, that I don't know what I'm excluding. So you kind of proceed with more caution.
0: You're confessing to insufficiency mm-hmm. as a part of your position, yeah. which is humility, mm-hmm. which seems to be, it seems to work better when acted out in the world than its opposite. Mm-hmm. Those who say, I am sufficient,
1: let me tell you how <laughs> Yeah, uh, no one really likes those people <laughs> or they like me like them for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Like, like there's elements where if you're in a really bad place and someone says to you, I know what's right and what's good, you could be like, thank God, you know, but if at any point you come into health, you it, that person can be consuming and smothering Mm -hmm. because they know what is right. Right. And so I I feel like that's also where, you know, younger people tend to gravitate towards things that are more definitive, Mm -hmm. you know, whereas you get older, it's harder to pinpoint and you've experienced enough life and made it had enough failures to know that, um, That's not as exacting as, as you would like it to be, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are you thinking? Well, I don't know. (laughs) I
0: don't know where to go from there. Um, So maybe it's a good time to wrap it.
1: I think so. I feel like this has been a fun, uh, a fun, a fun podcast in that there's a few things that we're kind of laying out. It's like, it seems like we're, I mean, do you think like it feels like kind of like more of like kind of a distinction between sort of like that need for certainty and that, that sort of necessary aspect of being thrown into the chaos and unknown that is actually good and healthy. Mm -hmm. it's like at some point you need that really good balance of sort of like we need something to hold on to. As it, but at the same time, we also need to allow the element of uncertainty and risk. Yeah. And if you don't have that tension where you seem to kind of like float to one side or the other, sort of like, I'm free, everyone get away. You know, it's like, if everybody was that way, it'd just be chaos everywhere, you know?
0: Well, maybe here's a good thing to end it on. Um, You know, I think we've been sort of wandering around the idea of uncertainty Mm -hmm. in this conversation. And I ran across some guy on Instagram, some reel. we, <laughs> we share reels with each other a lot these <laughs> days. And totally. uh, I sent you this reel where this guy said, and I, I'm blanking on his name. I think, I assume he was some sort of motivational speaker kind of guy, but um, oh, so, so a potential answer to the question, like, what do you do with uncertainty? You know, in this, which is relevant for the, I think the reasons we laid out, which is Everything seems to be a potential threat. Everything's uncertain. And so, what are you to do you and, do? And this guy said, if you're worried about something, sit down and write down everything that you're worried about. Then cross out all the things you can't control and focus on the things you can. And that's pretty humbling, mm-hmm.
1: but at least it's a path especially if you're realistic about what you have control over. You mm-hmm. know? If you got Ukraine, the middle East, Africa and world hunger and climate change. <laughs> True. It's like, okay, you can't control those. You can't control those. Right. Maybe you can have an impact in one of those. A meaningful impact? Well, most of us can't control those. I mean, yeah. there are
0: some people who mm-hmm. those could legitimately be on the list. Like, totally. hopefully, those are on President Biden's list, you know? <laughs>
1: totally. <laughs> and he puts people in charge of if all he's those things. capable of making lists, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> True. Yeah. All right. Well, cheers. Yeah.
0: Thank you, guys. Thanks for coming to the yeah. shores. We're, we're here. There. I felt compelled to say, peace be with you. I don't know why. <laughs> Just do it, man. Peace be with you. <laughs>